Welcome everyone to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to explore the freedom we have in the gospel with Paul's illustration of Hagar and Sarah as we take a step back and explore Genesis chapter 16. And on today's edition of The Wire, we're going to discuss the trend of star takedowns from that powerful foe's social media and what the public's thirst for blood says about us. It's all that and more as we give them the bold speak. Greetings again, everyone. So glad you're here as we continue our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. Now, if this is your first time joining us, I want to welcome you and let you know that you can listen to previous podcasts of this study by subscribing to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. And you can also get the companion study guide for this Galatians series on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. If you click on the shop at the top of the page, you can purchase the 44-page guide that will take you through the questions and give you some additional information to help you along as we dive deeper and deeper into Paul's words to the Galatian congregation. So I encourage you to, to do that because it, it makes for a much better Bible study and lets you go back and reference things along the way, which is pretty important when you study Paul because Paul loves a good callback. Speaking of callbacks... In today's study, we're going to enter into Lesson 6 of the study guide addressing Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. However, I should warn you, in this podcast, we're not going to actually read from Galatians at all. The reason for this is because in order to understand Paul's point in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, we have to understand the events of Abraham's life, and that is found in Genesis. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis today, getting a foundation for next week's episode of the podcast, where we will get into Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. But for now, go ahead and open to page 27 in the study guide if you have it in front of you, and in your Bibles to Genesis 12. And let's begin with the reading of Scripture. As always, if you're driving or don't currently have access to a Bible, that's fine. I will take care of you for that reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. All right, so here we go. This is going to be Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, in addition to this uh, kind of expression of the covenant in Genesis 12, God expresses the covenant again. He reiterates the covenant to Abraham in Genesis 15, where he says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Question one in our study guide is this. What did God promise to Abraham? God's promise to Abraham is, is pretty straightforward as we've read it. God promised to make Abraham a great nation. He promised to give him descendants that would be as numerous as the stars and that his, his name would be a blessing. But the critical thing to note here is that God made this problem to Abraham and Sarah. That is to say that the promise of the fulfillment of the covenant was to come within the marital relationship between Abraham and Sarah and no one else. And that's why it's important to understand question two. So why does Abraham still doubt this promise of God? Abraham doubts because at the time he had no children of his own. It seemed difficult for Abraham to believe that God would make his name great and that he would be the father of many nations when he didn't even have one child to claim as his own. See, anything that Abraham possessed or received from the Lord would have to be passed down to someone in his own household rather than his own offspring, or so it seemed. Convinced that Abraham would never have this child that the Lord promised, Abraham, we're going to see, is eventually going to take matters into his own hands. And this is where Abraham runs into some problems. And that leads us to question three, something I, I want you to think about and consider. Are there times when we doubt the promises of God because things aren't going the way that we thought they would? Now, my guess is the answer, probably for you as it is for me, is yes. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult to understand where the Lord is taking things. We we get in our heads that our life plan is, is going to go kind of some certain way. When we think about where we're headed, we think about that direction from our perspective. And the reason is because we only see things linearly. One event after another, after another, after another. But see, God doesn't see things the way that we see them. God sees the entire picture. He sees all the events as they occur over time and sees how they all interweave together. And so God puts things in motion. He sets things about. He places things in front of you in your life because God knows ultimately where it's going when we don't. And many times that's frustrating and causes doubt within us because we only consider things from our perspective. But as Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9 explain to us, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways many times are very different. And this is where our faith must supersede reason in regard to the promises of God. God loves us. He wants to bring about in our lives that which is best according to his purposes. But we don't always see his purposes. We don't always understand where he's going. And when life takes that left turn, when it goes in a direction that we're not expecting, we can't think of it from a perspective of blaming God because things didn't go our way. We need to uh, kind of approach it from a perspective of asking God for patience while things go his way. And that's an important thing to understand, especially important considering Abraham's next actions. And to get to that, we're going to read Genesis 16, the entire chapter, because it gives us an illustration of how this kind of plays out in Abraham's life. And it's going to be the illustration that Paul is going to use to point to the freedom of the gospel by God's promises. 
All right, so here we go. This is Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you! I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'ir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This gets us to question four. What was the plan? Now, this is fascinating because the, the plan originally by God, the covenant made by God to Abraham, was to give Abraham offspring that were biologically his own in order that he would have a true heir, right? And, and so through this heir, he would be the father of many nations. Now, again, as we said before, this promise was made to Abraham and Sarah. However... Sarah decided to give Abraham her servant Hagar, right? A servant that uh, was likely given to her when Abraham passed Sarah off as his sister so Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. Um, this is an account recorded in Genesis 12 if you want to reference that. So Sarah's plan is, I'm going to give you my servant Hagar, and because you have my servant Hagar, you're going to have the offspring that God desired you to have. But Sarah and Abraham misunderstood. The, the covenant that God made was a promise to give a child to Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and someone else. And their actions here, this plan that they have, is a way to circumvent the promise of God so that it occurs on their time 
and not God's time. And this is the problem. And many times we kind of run into this problem. When things don't seem to be going the way that, that we think that they should go, when they're not on our timeline, we try to take matters into our own hands and kind of manipulate God or force God into fulfilling the promises the way that we desire them to look. And this is exactly what's happening with Abraham and Sarah. They're trying to manipulate God's covenant so that God's covenant happens on their time and not on his. And it causes a lot of problems. That's question five. What happens when Hagar actually conceives a child with Abraham? Now, it's pretty clear on the basis of the text that Sarah gets rather upset at Hagar and Abraham for what's been done. But the question is, why? Why would Sarah get so upset? Wasn't this her plan to begin with? And the answer to that question is quite fascinating. The truth is, we can only speculate as to the nature of her reaction. The narrative tells us that Hagar looked upon Sarah with, quote, contempt, right? That's verse 5. But this seems to be a bit odd that Sarah would react in such a way, right? Because this is what she wanted, isn't it? Now, there are a couple of explanations as to what's going on here. The first is this could just be a stereotypical kind of soap opera love triangle. In Abraham's relations with Hagar, who was, remember, once just a servant girl, Hagar was now the childbearer to the incredible fortune and future of Abraham. And this could have made Hagar believe herself to be a little bit more than she was, right? Real important, and especially more important than Sarah. And thus kind of look down on Sarah as if she had replaced her. Now... You can imagine that this would make Sarah feel rather insecure and feel as if this kind of replacement was pushing her out of the covenant and pushing her out of the life of Abraham. So it makes sense that she would get mad and want Hagar to be sent away. She sort of immediately regretted the plan she had put into motion. But there's another fascinating possibility. The second possibility has to do with the nature of infertility. Remember, at this point, there's no way to know for sure where the infertility problem is coming, home, coming from. Uh, Abraham and Sarah know uh, that they have an infertility issue, but there's no way to pinpoint that like there is today. We, don't, uh, we have the benefit of science that they did not, right? We can speak with a doctor. We can have tests uh, be taken. We can look further into the issue and see where the, the infertility is coming from and what are some of the problems, and then approach solutions. But Abraham and Sarah didn't have that. Until Hagar. See, when Abraham conceives a child with Hagar, what Hagar and Abraham and Sarah all know is that the problem was with Sarah. For sure. Alright, and so Abraham's ability to conceive with Hagar shows Sarah that she was maybe the issue with their infertility and could have caused Hagar to look down upon Sarah because of her inability to conceive. And so you can imagine this causes all sorts of problems. Now, while either is a possibility, the real point to be made here is that Sarah's plan backfired. Why and what does that mean? Well, the answers to those questions will show us why Paul uses such a story to illustrate his position on the true nature of the law and the gospel. And that gets us to question six. What happens to Hagar 
as a result of this incident. Well, Sarah treats Hagar horribly. As a result of Sarah's harsh treatment, Hagar flees to a well in the wilderness in order to escape the persecution that she faces. But God comes to Hagar and tells her that she should return to Sarah and continue as her servant. This command, however, comes with a promise. Hagar's descendants will also be multiplied and live in the land, but in a different way. See, they won't be the promised people of God, but a wild people that will be always at odds with those around them. That is to say, God's promise of a covenant to Abraham is still kind of to a degree fulfilled in Ishmael, because Ishmael will be a great nation, just not the nation that God intended. And so the, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham and Sarai's future son of the covenant, Isaac, will sort of always be at odds with each other. And this kind of creates some of the uh, epic issues and problems that the people of God face as they enter into the promised land. All right, now let's kind of continue here with question seven. Why did this plan of Sarah's backfire so horribly? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. Sarah and Abraham tried to take matters into their own hands. While they had a promise from God that he would make them a great nation and that he would certainly give them a son, what they didn't have was the faith to trust God at his word. Knowing that the blessings of the father were passed down to the firstborn son, Abraham and Sarah trusted what they knew, right? What they had experienced, what they believed to be solid and secure. They trusted the law. By having Hagar conceive a child with Abraham, they believed that they were bringing about the covenant through their own actions. In other words, Abraham and Sarah believed the promise would be fulfilled when they took matters into their own hands and provided the heir their own way. But what resulted was a mess. Strife, discord, anger all came into their lives rather than blessings, love, and hope. It was the exact opposite of what they intended. But that's what happens when we supplant the promise of the gospel with the security of our own understanding by the law. The law can never fulfill what God promises. Only God can. And when we try to do it our own way, all we end up with is some botched plans and empty promises. Only God can complete the promises he makes. Any attempt we make to insert ourselves and our actions into those promises only steals away the hope and beauty that those promises are intended to bring. And so Sarah and Abraham's plan backfires because they trusted in the law and ignored the gospel. Question 8. How do we put the law in front of the promises of God and seek another gospel? The answer is quite simply self-reliance. See, the nature of our kind of sinful desire to take matters into our own hands. It's the same self-reliance that we talked about in lesson four of this series. It's the, the kind of self-reliance that we've been talking about in our video series on YouTube, Reclamation Sin. But now what we start to see are the consequences of this self-reliance. 
When we get comfortable in a pattern of self-reliance, we start to insert ourselves into everything, and that includes our own salvation. When we insert ourselves into the promises of God, we begin a very dangerous game where we start to see ourselves as a part of God's saving work in some way, even to a degree kind of on the same playing field as God, and we're not. We think to ourselves, well, sure, God may do most of it, but I have to do something, right? Make a decision. I mean, I have to play some part in this. And at that point, we're in a very dangerous place. Because I'll be honest with you, we will never find any hope in ourselves. Time and time again in the scriptures, we see imperfect people being made perfect in God's love and promise. God takes imperfect people and makes something out of them by his work and by no contribution of theirs. Take Abraham alone as an example, right? There's, there's multiple examples throughout the Bible, but just, just take Abraham as an example. Right? Many times in the Christian church, we kind of lift Abraham up as this great father of the faith, and he was, but recognize that Abraham was a father of the faith by God's work, not his. Consider Abraham's life, just what we're told in Scripture. Right? The, the man pawns off his wife as his sister twice. He consistently doubts God's promises to give him a son, enacting plans like this scheme with Hagar. And God eventually gets to a point where he even changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, going from father to father of many, to reflect the covenant just so that Abraham would remember the promises that God made to him. And despite all of this lack of trust and faith in God and his promises, Abraham still ends up being the father of many nations in that his offspring brings about the birth of the Savior of the world. Now, if we were to just read the life of Abraham without the promises of God interceding, we'd be forced to believe that, that all was lost, right? I mean, God's going to save us through this guy? But it was never Abraham who would save us. It was always God. In the same way, it's never us or anyone else that is important when it comes to the saving work of Jesus. God uses many people to bring us the message and calls us to live out that faith in a meaningful way, but ultimately, it is never anything that we bring to the table that sustains us throughout eternity. It is Christ alone that saves us and restores the broken and the lost. It is Christ alone that frees us. That is why Paul sees this narrative of Sarah and Hagar as so important. It shows such a beautiful illustration of what comes from trusting the law and what comes from trusting the gospel. And it's that that we're going to address on our next episode of the Bold Speak podcast. All right, well, many of us have social media accounts and use them to varying degrees. I personally was a little late to the party with uh, not having a social media account until the late 2010s. But even with my late start into the crazy and ever so public world of social media, it's hard to believe that it's been around 10 years since I started. Uh, a lot has changed for me. I, I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. I've grown as a human, and I'd like to think for the better. But for some stars, 
apparently that growth isn't allowed. It's that discussion on this edition of The Wire. Celebrity scandals are nothing new to the public. It is a well-known fact that once you gain success that brings with it fame, you're bound to drag scrutiny along with it. But this latest trend that seems to be more and more popular in culture today is drudging up old tweets and social media posts at critical moments in famous people's lives. The most famous example of this in recent history was Kevin Hart, who was compelled to step down from hosting the Oscars after tweets resurfaced from 2011 and earlier, featuring slanderous words about the homosexual community. In a recent article published by CNN, writer A.J. Willingham expressed her curiosity about the trend from the perspective of the stars and their overall understanding of their role in the public eye. If you'd like to read the article, I'll go ahead and post it in the comments of the podcast. The overall tenor of the story is to say that people shouldn't make offensive comments in the first place. Well, that's true. We all need to be careful in an age where the desire to be funny many times outweighs the desire to be decent. We must always be careful with what we put out into the public. A second thing she mentioned was that if you do say something offensive, these stars should have someone delete it as they transition their way into fame. It makes sense, I suppose, to protect yourself in matters like this if you're going to go into the public eye. Uh, overall, in the article, it, I think she's saying that you, it's not that you can't speak your mind, just do it with grace and respect and consideration. But there's a part of this that I think is missing. If you are one of the public who sees these tweets, address the matter correctly. Because if you are denigrating a celebrity because of their hateful speech by maliciously retweeting it to make a fool of them or harm their life, you are being just as hateful. It's something that I think of as a righteousness trap. Many times we feel as if pointing out the unrighteousness in another makes us look righteous by comparison. But it doesn't. It just makes you equally hateful. If you are genuinely trying to help people and not promote yourself, you wouldn't address these matters in such a hateful way. In fact, here it's important to recall Matthew 7:12, which states, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule, and it still applies. The reason is because we all have skeletons in our closet. Would you want your skeletons on display for the world to see? My guess is no. Why then would you put others out there? If you are genuinely trying to change a hateful culture, you may want to first stop and consider your own hatefulness. I personally thought the person who handled this the best was lesbian comedian Ellen DeGeneres, who invited Kevin Hart onto her show to express that she realizes that Kevin is a different person now than he was then. She said she accepted his apology for his use of slanderous words and wanted him to continue. And the response that she got was hatred from the LGBTQ community. Why? because of their own hatred they haven't adequately addressed. You know, maybe one day we'll figure out that the real issue we have, despite our disagreement on hot-button issues like politics and sexuality and abortion and the like, 
are not because we have different views on truth, but because we can't get past the hatred we feel because of those differences. Racism and hatred of racists are both still hate. Change takes education, and education needs communication. Something that's very difficult when we won't stop talking about how much we hate. That's all for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the Bold Speak. Also, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channels on iTunes and SoundCloud so you can get the latest information and updates on when we release new content. And as always, check us out on our website, www.theboldspeak.com for all the latest information and upcoming items. Until next time, everyone, I'm Anthony Creedon, and that is the Bold Speak.